Welcome to Inside Hillcat Nation, a different look at RSU Hillcat Athletics. Now your host, the voice of the Hillcats, Josh Haley. We welcome you to this edition of Inside Hillcat Nation on RSU Radio, and a reminder that you can check us out on your favorite podcasting platform as well. This week, we're happy to open up the show with Dr. Brian Andrews, faculty athletic representative here at Rogers State. Dr. Andrews, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Josh. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. You and I are uh, are reunited a little bit because it, it goes very much back into the days of um, sitting at the Diamond Sports Complex for baseball and softball, and uh, but but it just kind of goes uh, to show previous roles that you've served in here at Rogers State. But the the key point there being is that you've been here for a long time and and a Hillcat uh, for sure for life. <laughs> I, I have been. I I started in athletics in 2010. Um, is when I started as an assistant AD for student development, and I've been in various roles since then. So, Now talk about your role right now, faculty athletic representative, and, and kind of what the, the daily life looks like there. Okay. So so I moved to uh, full-time faculty um, in 2013, um, and so I moved out of athletics for a few years, and then uh, Dr. Martin, who was the uh, dean of our school, he was the previous uh, faculty athletic rep, and when he moved to, to dean full-time, I took over that job. So uh, the FAR is a, it's an NCAA-mandated position, so we're you know, required to have one. And what it is is a um, kind of an outside of athletics position. So I don't go to, you know, the AD or I don't answer to any coaches. I meet with the president several times a year to discuss kind of the overall academic integrity of the athletics program, the state of the athletics program. Um, so, you know, my main job, what I, what I usually tell uh, people is my main job as FAR is basically to ensure that student athletes get what they need uh, academically. So I tell them, you know, at our beginning of the year meetings that anything they need, uh, they can come to me. And as someone that's outside of athletics, sometimes they can come to me with things that they may not be comfortable going to an athletics administrator or their coach with. So I, I kind of there for them to as a sounding board in some cases where they can come talk to me about any problems that they're having and we can you know, try to find solutions to them. Very good. The uh, especially this past year, it seemed like press release after press release of of academic achievement awards and how many different teams found their way on team awards for yeah. those types of things. Those those have to be things though that that when you see that are very very pleasing to you. Yeah, it's it's great to see the the progress, the academic progress as well as the competitive progress. But uh, from from my perspective, I'm I'm always super super happy to see. Student athletes succeed academically. Uh, our graduation rates have been going up. Um, you know, we get uh, really, really top-notch student athletes here at RSU, and that's you know uh, partly due to the the integrity of the coaches and their recruiting processes. Um, you know, when I first started in athletics, we were NAIA, and there were not as many academic rules uh, for NAIA athletes. Uh, and when I started, we didn't have any sort of you know established academic plan. We didn't have study halls. We didn't have anything like that. So we really kind of started from, from scratch about 10 years ago, starting to build up the, the academic side of things in athletics. And to see it kind of culminate with, you know, lots of student athletes uh, getting on the honors, honor roll and stuff like that, it's, it is really satisfying to see that. I know one of the things that, that you've uh, told me about previously is, is how much you work um, collectively to make sure that the eligibility is there and and especially when it comes to uh, some sort of perhaps it might be a medical hardship or 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 transfers and things like that working through all the uh, academic parts of that to make sure that the eligibility is there yeah there's there's a lot that goes into athletic eligibility uh, with the NCAA there's there's a lot of strict rules that we have to follow so I work pretty closely uh, with Chris Ratcliffe, uh, the AD, and Don Tetro, uh, who's over compliance, uh, as well as with uh, Heidi um, Hoskinson, Dr. Hoskinson, who's the um, VP for uh, uh, enrollment and registrar. 
Um, so we, you know, twice a year, uh, we go, we comb through transcripts, we look at grades, we look at uh, progress towards degree. You know, we have to make sure that every class that a student athlete takes is giving them progress towards their declared major or minor. Uh, so there, there's not a lot of room, wiggle room for them to take classes that don't fit into that, uh, that particular major. Um, so we review grades, uh, we review GPAs, uh, make sure that everybody's getting the hours that they need. You know, luckily there's um, pretty good advising uh, through uh, Don's office, so we don't run into a lot of problems when we do spot one. Uh, you know, um, we have to report it to our conference, report it to the NCAA, but that luckily doesn't happen very often. So we do that twice a year. Um, we, uh, through, through my role as FAR, one of the things I also do is review medical hardships, like you mentioned. So anytime uh, a student athlete is injured um, and has to miss uh, any um, portion of the, of the season, uh, if they miss, there's some rules to it obviously, but if they miss a significant portion of the season, then they can apply to get that season of eligibility back. And that's something that goes through Don's office and my office. And that's, a, in many cases, a, a conference decision. So I meet with the FARs uh, from our conference, MIAA. We meet twice a year to review all the medical hardship waivers for uh, all the schools in our conference. And so I've learned a lot about kind of the ins and outs of NCAA rules as it, as it you know, kind of pertains to eligibility and especially with hardship waivers. So it's been an interesting, uh, interesting couple of years. Like I said, I've only been doing this for, this is my third year as FAR, um, and I've learned a lot in that, that period of time. So, With COVID-19, of course, the NCAA extended eligibility for certain athletes in certain sports. Has there been any um, additional workload or, or extra cases to kind of make sure that some of those athletes who, who do want to take advantage of that extra year are academically in that spot to do so? Yeah, that's been challenging. This, this year, you know, as for everybody, it, it's presented some challenging situations. Um, and we've approached it as a, as a department, uh, as, a, as the athletics department, and I've approached it as FAR. Our conferences approached it in a way that in all cases gives kind of the benefit of the doubt to student-athletes. Um, we don't want, uh, you know, a student athlete to lose eligibility or not get to play or lose a season if we can if we can help it we'll we'll do what we need to do so there's been a little bit of flexibility in how we interpret rules and things like that the NCAA obviously has been pretty vocal about this and so it's it is there are some individual challenges uh, you know what do you do uh, when a kid uh, is going to exhaust eligibility uh, and then they get an extra year but they're going to graduate you know we have here at RSU we have a, a one a master's program so they can always come back as a uh, as a master's student but that's not really appropriate for all of them um, so uh, figuring out what to do in those cases can be challenging um, but like I said we we always try to put the student athlete first um, and make sure that they kind of get the opportunities uh, that that they deserve so it's you know it's a case-by-case basis in a lot, in a lot of instances now, prior to coming to, to RSU, you were the principal investigator for Quest Archaeological Research Program, which was an endowment through Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about uh, your start in the archaeological field and, and also okay. how that's carried over to today, something you're still pursuing, right? Yeah, so, uh, you know, um, the athletic stuff that I do is, is kind of a small part of what I do as faculty, and my, my academic background is in archaeology. Um, and I started doing archaeology uh, in, let's see, 1995. So I've been I've been doing uh, you know academic archaeology for quite a while now. Um, I I spent uh, when I was at SMU. That's where I did my PhD. Um, and there I was lucky to uh, have an advisor who had a large research endowment quest, which you which you mentioned. Um, and it paid for any research that I wanted to do. So I spent almost a decade um, while I was in Dallas uh, working on a site called the Mountaineer site, uh, which is a Folsom period uh, site. Folsom is a, a cultural period here in, in the U.S. and North America, mostly North America, that dates to about 10,500 years ago. Um, so wow. right toward the end of the last ice age, things looked a lot different, obviously, here in, here in the Americas back then. Um, so that site uh, I spent, like I said, about 10 years excavating, and it's uh, just an incredible site uh, that has... Um, 
at least four uh, stone ring structures uh, on it. Um, so there are these big, about uh, two and a half meter diameter um, stone ringed uh, habitation structures that are, as far as I know, the oldest kind of substantial uh, houses in in North America. Um, wow! And again, they all date. We have bison bone uh, out of them uh, that dates to about ten thousand four hundred fifty years ago. Um, so these were all occupied contemporaneously at the same time by a single, probably um, extended band of, of hunter-gatherers. Uh, they were bison hunters. They were probably, you know, utilized plants uh, and smaller game as well. And it looks like at this site they overwintered there. So it's up in the mountains, which is cold, and it was even colder back uh, at the end of the last ice age. So they overwintered there. Um, we have evidence that it's a winter occupation. Um all sorts of really neat things, the different, uh, so some of the uh, structures are clearly habitation structures where people lived and they slept in them and they cooked in them and things like that. Some of them appear to be workshops where they made like stone tools. Um, so there's evidence that they uh, made their projectile points in one uh, particular structure and then in another structure they might be processing bison bones. So there's some interesting kind of of social patterns that we can study about how ancient hunter-gatherers were were organized uh, as a community. Um, so I spent, like I said, over 10 years excavating that and even longer. I wrote my dissertation on it. Um, actually finished my dissertation uh, right as I started in athletics here at, at RSU. Um, and so the Finally, uh, after another 10 years, uh, the book on that site is in press right now, University of Colorado Press, so it'll be out soon. Um, so in the meantime, after I kind of finish that up, I've done a lot of archaeology in the, in the local area uh, as well uh, here in Claremore once I moved back uh, to, uh, to northeast Oklahoma. So I've excavated uh, a site near Chelsea, um, Oklahoma, uh, called the Goodson Shelter Site. Uh, it's a little uh, sandstone uh, overhang uh, along a creek bed. Um, and there uh, we found uh, almost 8,000 years of record of human occupation. Um, so uh, about two meters of deposits, dug down two meters and found all sorts of interesting things. Lots of, uh, lots of deer bone, lots of projectile points. I think it was probably a hunting camp. So mm. for, for about 8,000 years, it was a deer hunting uh, camp area. Um, and the deer bones are all uh, kind of lower, lower leg elements. Um, so they were taking the good parts and taking them to some camp somewhere and kind of leaving behind everything else. So we've done a big analysis of that. I have a, a new uh, report, uh, a paper coming out uh, on that as well in the next year. So we're talking with faculty athletic representative, Dr. Brian Andrews. Was that spot in Chelsea somewhere that when you first came to the Claremore area that was already kind of there and, and people had known about and, and done some research work there already? Well, there hadn't been any research there, but, you know, one of the ways archaeologists find find sites is, you know, we usually don't find the sites ourselves. Um, so this site was brought to my attention from a local artifact collector. He, you know, his hobby is walking creek beds and finding arrowheads. Um, and he was finding a lot in the area. And so he took me out uh, to kind of show me some of the spots where he hunts for arrowheads uh, and showed me the, the site at that point. And it had been uh, kind of dug in a little bit by um, amateur archaeologists, uh, seeing what was in there, but they hadn't gone too deep. Um, and when I saw it, I could tell, you know, I've, I've looked at You have to know a little bit about geology to be an archaeologist as well. And so I could look at it and I could tell geologically that there were pretty deep, uh, potentially deep deposits there. So deep, uh, deeply buried uh, sediments. And so he showed me that. I got interested in it, went back and tested it later that year after he showed it to me. And turned out that, you know, we, we did have archaeology very deeply below the surface there. So... That's the way most sites are found by people that uh, know the land and are out and finding finding stuff. So, and is there there's still a lot of potential in that area that you're still looking into? Oh yeah, there's there's quite a bit. So this that project is kind of part of a longer term project that that I'm interested in that I'm pursuing here in northeastern Oklahoma, looking at how uh, how prehistoric people. Uh, utilize the the landscape here and how that changed over time. So we're in an interesting area right on the border between the plains uh, and the eastern woodlands. Um, so we've got kind of the Ozarks, you know, right on the edge of the Ozarks. Um, and over time, as the climate has has shifted and changed, we've had trees here and then it's turned into plains. And so it's interesting to 
to see how changing climatic uh, episodes impact how humans adapt to environments. So that's a, a really interesting question, one that drives a lot of my research. So I'm looking at a lot of other sites in the area, trying to uh, find habitation sites and smaller sites to put together a, a picture of what that, that change through time looks like. Do any of the student athletes here, have, have they discovered that, that this is something that you do and, and just totally busted you up with questions about this? Or, or? It happens occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my students in general, you know, they, they know that if they want to get me off topic, all they got to do is start talking about archaeology and I'll, I'll go off uh, and we'll spend the rest of the class doing that. I've actually had, let's see, over the course of excavations, I've had a couple of student athletes out uh, to help with excavations, kids that were in my classes. Um, so I try to involve students as much as possible, and I, I do have a lot of the student-athletes in my classes. So anytime I can get a student out into the field and kind of get them some hands-on you know, experience doing, doing science like that, I think it's really good for students to do that. So I try to keep them involved. Absolutely. We're talking with faculty athletic representative Dr. Brian Andrews. That is very interesting. It's, it's something always been uh, that's piqued my interest hearing about that stuff, but especially when it's kind of in your own backyard here. Claremore initially, though, is not your backyard, though, right? Well, no, it is, actually. I, <laughs> but you, I, you spent a lot of time traveling, going different places. I did. So I grew up, uh, interestingly, on College Park Road, which is just uh, right, yes, right yes. down um, near campus. Um, so I grew up in this area, and I spent a lot of time as a kid playing outside, walking creek beds, finding arrowheads. So that's what got me interested. Um, like a lot of you know kids from relatively small towns, I wanted to get out <laughs> when I you know when I graduated high school. So I I went to OU for my undergrad, uh, and at that point started doing archaeology out in the western part of Oklahoma. Uh, and then I went to University of Wyoming uh, for my um, first master's degree, uh, mainly because I was really interested in working with some of the um, some of the best archaeologists in the world were at University of Wyoming still are. And there's just an incredible archaeological record up in that kind of northern plains area. So I spent uh, the next five or six years working up uh, in that area um, and then down to Dallas. But I continued working in Colorado. And so I, I've worked kind of all around, uh, you know, the Great Plains, Rocky Mountains area. Um, always, though, kind of in the back of my head, I was I was wanting to get back to this area because this is where I became interested in archaeology and this mm. is you know where I'm from I'm you know I'm a I guess a third or fourth generation Oklahoma and my family's been been in this area for quite some time so I've always been interested in knowing a little bit more about the the history and prehistory of of this area so I was I was happy when I got back to be able to dive in and start doing some archaeology of this area seeing uh, so many other parts of the country and and being involved in school and in, in different places that, that, to me, would only seem like it would help and, and enhance your connection with athletes, especially when here at RSU, athletes are coming from all over the country and it, the world at some point. Yeah, it, it does. You know, um, it's most of my kind of experience as a student, uh, I was at larger universities. Um, so I got a kind of a picture of what it looked like, and, you know, when I was at SMU. Uh, I, I taught as a grad student, so I'd have a lot of the student athletes in my in my classes there, um, and you know, traveling around, uh, being in academics, you you are around a diverse set of people, and so it did. I think, you know, expand my horizons significantly when I kind of left Claremore and, and got to experience all of that, and it does help because, like you said, we have, you know, a, a pretty diverse student athlete body here here at RSU. And knowing, you know, knowing a little bit about that diversity and having experience talking and working with diverse, diverse groups of people certainly comes in, comes in handy. Um, it's, you know, for a lot of the kids that come into Claremore, they're coming from, you know, places that are quite a bit different. So there can be a bit of, of culture shock uh, for them. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things as FAR that I, that I like to try to do is, you know, make their transition uh, a little bit easier, give them the resources that they need. You know, a lot of them are a long way from family. They're, uh, it can be challenging for kids. And so, you know, as FAR, I try to use my experience to, to help them uh, adapt to what, what life's like here, uh, here on the RSU campus and Claremore in general. It's been fun to talk about it uh, with you today. Dr. Brian Andrews, faculty athletic representative here at Roger State, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Josh. We'll be back for more on Inside Hillcat Nation coming up. We'll talk 
to the Roger State head baseball coach, Chris Klimas, and Pepe Soto, his catcher. That's coming up here on RSU Radio. You've heard me say, support for RSE Radio comes from quite a few times by now. That's because local organizations love to show their support for RSE Radio. Underwriting is a way for businesses to build brand awareness and show their support for the community, and it's tax deductible. Businesses who have underwritten with RSE Radio include the Canes Ballroom, Langdon Publishing, Chimera Cafe, and many others. For information on underwriting, email tcrowley at rsu.edu or call 918-343-7670. Now back to Inside Hillcat Nation with your host and the voice of the Hillcats, Josh Haley. We're back on Inside Hillcat Nation and glad to be joined by Roger State Head Baseball Coach Chris Klimas and catcher Pepe Soto. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Josh. Thank you. Coach, uh, talk with us a little bit about uh, the stake series that's coming up. I know that's been something that you've instilled in the program, and everybody looks forward to it each year, but uh, it's a great way to keep the competitive spirit high in the fall. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, every fall, you know, because we don't play outside competition, that we do a lot of inter-squatting. We play against each other. Uh, we've got thir- certain things set up uh, during those inter-squads, uh, offensive resets for bunning, uh, taking extra bases, stealing, and when – you know, you kind of reach a point every fall where you're getting close to time to move into the off season. All that kind of starts to reach a point of uh, the monotony uh, catches up with you a little bit. And then to kind of a refresher for us is the, is the stake series, which we eliminate all of those resets and we go to a best of five series. We split the teams as evenly as we can and we play a best of five series. Um, you know, with us getting a little bit of late start this year because of COVID, um, we're actually having to do it the week of fall break and then the week after where uh, in the past, we usually finish it the week of fall break. You know, games four and five would be right before fall break. So it's gonna be a little unique doing it that way, but it's a best of five series. Uh, the winning, you know, we, we take the entire team to dinner. Uh, the winning team gets steaks and the losing team usually gets hamburgers or hot dogs or something. So there's quite a bit <laughs> on the line there. Uh, but we, we usually go over to Doe's here in town and, and eat and have a big meal out of it at some point in November. And uh, you were on the winning team last year, Mr. Soto, right? Did, yes, that, did, that, did that equal some bragging rights for a little bit of time uh, after? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for the next week, we were all just bragging about our stakes that we're going to have. And, <laughs> you know, it was a clean sweep, so everyone was a little upset on the blue team. Uh, but it was definitely really fun. Pepe Soto from the Roger State baseball team came to the Hillcats from San Diego Mesa, where a long line of Roger State players have come from. Were there any things uh, like that that were part of this program that you had heard from past teammates at San Diego Mesa? Like, hey, this is something cool that this program does. Um, I mean, they definitely talked about Hillcat Wars. Um, uh, I knew it was going to be a battle last year, uh, but Zach Mann and we had Sean and a couple other guys last year. They they were all back from San Diego Mesa, but they said they loved Hillcat Wars. The Stake Series was also something they talked about, but they also talked about their work ethic, um, and that's something that I really love to hear about. Yeah, talk to us mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, Hillcat Wars last year and what that entailed and what that was like for you coming in as a new player. I mean, coming into Hillcat Wars, I was a little nervous, um, something I haven't done before, uh, but I was, I think I was ready, you know. I, uh, I came in. Uh, working out um, all the time, uh, but it was the running aspect after after the actual workout that was really hard. Um, but other than that, I think it was it was just cruising. And Coach Climas, talk to us a little bit about that and how how it all works and the logistics of it. Well, everything that we do in our program, we try to have a, a competitive component to it. Uh, we want guys to compete in everything that they do because you find out a lot about guys. If they're gonna if they're gonna go to the wall and they're gonna compete every time you ask them, those are usually guys that you can trust uh, between the white lines. So, Hillcat Wars for us is, is like the ultimate competition. You get paired up with someone else uh, from the team that's usually close to you in the standings, and it's a 15 station competition, and you battle each other for basically two straight hours. Uh, in the morning and and there's weightlifting stations or agility stations um, and whoever wins the most stations um, wins the matchup and the winner runs one mile after it's over and the loser runs that's about two and a half two and a quarter afterward and there's a big hill involved in that run so 
there's definitely some incentive there to compete and find a way to win. Um, the worst is when you tie and then it goes to a tiebreaker, which is an envelope. It comes down to a station and whoever won that station wins the matchup. And that's, you know, how you determine who runs the short run and who runs the long one. But everything that we do from our Halloween dodgeball to the stake series to Hillcat Wars, I want to see guys compete um, because, you know, you just, like I said, you just learn a lot about guys and the guys that will go to the wall for you anytime you ask them to, anytime that there's something at stake, those are usually the guys that are pretty special on the field. Yeah, and one of those other activities you mentioned that I want to talk about was the Halloween dodgeball and uh, Pepe Soto. What was that like uh, for you to experience <laughs> last year, your first year in? I mean, last year I was actually in a boot. Uh, I rolled my ankle during one of the uh, days of Hillcat Wars I was running. Um, but, I mean, I didn't get to move around a whole bunch, but just seeing everyone else in their costumes having a great time, it was really fun. You got that catcher's arm, so there probably weren't too many people that were uh, <laughs> upset that you didn't get to participate then, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Coach, what about um, what about what things are like right now as it stands today? Obviously, it was good news that everybody was able to get back on campus with and start training with COVID. But has COVID affected you know the way that you'd normally prepare in the fall? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think it cha- it's changed a lot of things for for everybody across the country, across the world. In fact, uh, you know, I think for us, the the biggest thing for me, at least on the coaching side, is you know we try to instill toughness in our players. That's something that you want to have because no matter what the situation, you want you you want to be able to trust your guys that they can battle through any adversity. Uh, we always tell our guys one of the aspects, one of the characteristics of our program. Uh, is to be tougher than a $2 steak. And, and and there's a lot of things that go into that. And part of that is being able to battle through the days that you don't feel good. You don't feel good physically. Uh, you know, your arm may not feel good, or you got a little bit of the sniffles or chest congestion, whatever, when we battle through that. And when it comes to weights, when it comes to baseball, when it comes to everything. And COVID has basically taken that away from us this year. Uh, we've got to be ultra sensitive to everything. You know, and we've had to send a couple people home from practice just because – you know, I don't, I don't feel quite right today, or I got a little bit of the sniffles. We got to be ultra sensitive, and we got to, you know, send guys home. Whereas normally, you'd expect those guys to battle through it. You know, we talk about Hillcat Wars. Hillcat Wars, it's terrible. Like you're waking up at four thirty in the morning, and you're about to battle for two and a half hours. You're about to work out for two and a half hours and battle your teammates. And there's days you don't feel good, and we expect our guys to show up and battle through it. No matter, you better be on your deathbed if you're not, you know, if you're not going to come. <laughs> and and we can't do that anymore. You know, at least right now. So it, for me, that's probably the biggest thing is just being aware of, of how everybody feels and what they got going on that day. And if somebody's a little bit off, you know, you, you can't say, oh, I'll just, you know, suck it up and tough through it because, you know, before you know it, you could have an outbreak on your team. So you just got everybody's got to be smart about it. You got to trust the players uh, and they got to trust you. And, you know, there's day we've had to send people home. Like, no, I'm, I feel fine. Well, I understand you feel fine. I appreciate your willingness to fight through it. But we got to look out for for the entire team at this point. Let's just make sure. And then, you know, if they feel fine two or three days later and they get cleared, then they come back. But probably for us, that's that's been the biggest the biggest challenge. When when you don't have those things at your luxury to be able to continue on like normal, is that a situation where you're also kind of relying on your veteran players who have been in the program to kind of pass down to the to the incoming guys or first year players and say, here's how we do things here. COVID is an exception, but but here's how we normally do it. Yeah, I think so, but I, I think it's a learning experience for everyone. Um, you know, it's learning for me. It's learning for the upper class. You know, because you know they expect the younger guys, the, the returners, the upper classmen expect the younger guys to be tough. But at the same time, sometimes I've got to at this point, I've got to intervene and be like, "No, we're not gonna, we're not gonna try to push through." You know, the sniffles today. Like, go make sure you're good. Go home for the afternoon. Get a little bit of sleep. And and you know, it helps when it's towards the end of the week and you say, "All right, we're not doing a whole lot today. Friday, we're just gonna take batting practice. Don't bother." rest up for the weekend, you know, because we're required to give them two days off. And for us that in the fall, that's always Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and then we'll see where you're at on Sunday. And, you and you know, the couple of times that we've, that we've run into it, they felt fine by then. They never had, you know, any other symptoms, never had a fever, you know, and, and then they're back. So, you know, fortunately for us, we haven't had a major issue with COVID this fall. But I think just making sure that we're staying on top of it, that, you know, we're being smart about, you know, water distribution at practice. Uh, Coach Zorn is one that does water distribution for us. Coach Ellis does all of our, all of our temperature checks. Uh, we've got some checks and balances in place that, that the athletic department has required of us. And, you know, just staying on top of that, making sure we got masks available whenever we're talking to them as a group and just staying on that. And fortunately, you know, we've we got two days this week and I think four days next week, five days next week left in the fall. 
Um, hopefully we can get through those and, and complete the, the on-field portion without any hiccups. We're talking with Roger State head baseball coach Chris Klimas and catcher Pepe Soto. Coach, one thing I wanted to discuss is uh, the coaching change this offseason. Head coach, um, for, for you, you had been with uh, Robert Brown, longtime assistant since you got here at Rogers State. Uh, he announces his retirement. Uh, so many contributions to this program helped create the program from, from the ground up with Ron Bradley. And uh, now you bring in head coach uh, or a, a former head coach and a former longtime assistant in Bob Fannin. But that guy, at least from my perspective, is an encyclopedia of baseball knowledge, is he not? Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, I've been very fortunate as, as a, from a first-time head coach, um, you know, back in the fall of 2014, I've been fortunate to have, you know, up until this fall, have the exact same coaching staff in place with me. Uh, and, and Coach Brown uh, was a big part of the success that, that Roger State University's had since they started baseball, and he's a big part of – uh, you know, the reason that I've or the way that I've grown into the head coach that I've become. Um, so I owe a lot to him and, and he's he was outstanding. And I, I was extremely fortunate to have him for the years that I did. And I know Coach Bradley would say the same thing. Uh, and then he he just got to a point, you know, in his personal life that they had a lot going on. He and his family and their family business and all that, that he wasn't able to do it, you know, anymore. So it, he had to step away from it. And I know it was really difficult for him to make that decision, but it was the right decision for him. And I backed him 100%. Uh, but to be able to bring in someone like Coach Fannin on the heels of Coach Brown, uh, obviously they're they're completely different, um, but absolutely, you know, a home run for us to be able to bring him in and the things that he's done in the past and uh, the, you know, the recruiting contacts that he brings, the expertise that he brings. Uh, we're, we're just really excited to have him. Pepe Soto, you've you've uh, been in a transitional phase the last couple of years, kind of learning the catcher position because as well as you play it, nobody would know it by looking at you, but catcher was not your primary position. You were an infielder before. Talk about that transition for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, all my life I kind of played both positions, a little bit more infield than catching. Um, back at San Diego Mesa, I played a lot of infield and I caught, but when I got here, they, they really just wanted me to catch. And I think it was actually really good for me because I actually had something to really primarily focus on. And it, I think it made me better as a player. Um, but I really like it now. What were some of the, the things transitionally for you coming here to Rogers State? Was it was it difficult at all to uh, get get your feel of things with the field and the way the field plays here and things like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this field, uh, Rogers State, is just – it's a graveyard, as Klima says. Um it uh the ball does not fly so like you cannot elevate the ball here you really got to make sure you get on top of the ball and hit line drives here coach uh pepe soto comes from san diego mesa when you start to get you know one or two or three good players from a certain college do you kind of continue to look there maybe extra hard and say not only do these guys produce on the field but they're the right type of guys for the culture that we're driving here yeah absolutely uh you know, from knowing Coach Sanchez at San Diego Mesa for as long as I have, I actually recruited him when he was a player at San Diego Mesa wow. before he went to Cal Baptist. <laughs> so that tells you how long I've known him. Uh, but yeah, I actually recruited him as a player when I was at Oklahoma Baptist University. Uh, and then when he got the head job there, uh, we kind of reconnected. And, um, you know, he understands what it, I think he runs his program very similar to the way we run things here. Uh, a lot of the things that we value, they also value there. So, uh, for the guys that come from San Diego Mesa to Roger State University, it's typically a, a pretty uh, smooth transition, and he understands and knows what kind of player it takes to be successful here. So if he calls me about a guy uh, and tells me that I need to take him, like I don't, I don't second guess it one bit. I don't, I don't quiz him. I mean, he he knows what it takes to to win here to be successful, and the and the guys he sent us. If you go down the list, he hasn't sent me a dog yet. <laughs> Well, one thing that we know that's important uh, and, a, and a big part of the culture that, that you're building is the academic side of things. Your team was uh, named the ABCA Team Academic Excellent Award for the, not only this past year, but but you repeated as well in doing that the year before. I think we've done it four out of the last five years. And one of only two teams in the in the entire MIAA to repeat uh, from one year to the next. So what are, what are some of those things that you talk about with the guys as far as that goes? Well, when it, when it comes to academics, like the coaching staff, the athletic department, we can't do it for them. Uh, you know, they've got to take that responsibility themselves. Um, and we've got certain expectations within our program that if, if you can't do these certain things and you're just not going to play for us and academics is one of them. 
Um, you know, if you can't go to class, then then you can sit up in the suite and do homework while we practice, and you can watch out the window. Uh, and so our guys have, you know, pretty much. I mean, they get all the credit. I mean, all I've done is put the, the expectations in place, and the guys have taken care of their business academically. They go to class, they do what they're supposed to. And anytime we have an issue, uh, you know, I get an email or whatever. We sit down, we talk about it, and we just make sure we don't repeat that issue, that problem that we've had. And uh, the guys have, have just taken care of their business, and I've been really proud of them. Like I said, I think for the last five years, we've won the ABCA uh, Academic Excellence Award. And for me, that's something that, that's a goal for us every semester. When uh, COVID hit last year and the season uh, was immediately uh, canceled, ultimately, the NCAA said that guys who were seniors or, or anybody really would have the extra year of, of eligibility. Pepe Soto, that, that affects you in a way because – Two all-conference pitchers who were seniors last year in Corey Murphy and Jackson Simons guard essentially able to come back. How exciting is that for you to get to be able to play that full season with them that you were hoping to have last year? Yeah, that's super exciting. I mean, last year when COVID hit and we said we were going home, I was actually really scared we weren't going to get our year back. Um, I know that was up in the air for a little while, but once I heard that we were going to get that year back, I knew we were going to have some strong players come back, and I knew we were going to have a really good year with those guys. How do you feel about some of the new guys that have come in as this being their first official year now? What's what's the new crop of talent looking like? I mean, I think it's actually looking really good. Uh, we have some really good guys that have great character and they great work ethic, and I, I think they're going to be a really good addition to this team. Coach, what are some of the headlines for you from this incoming recruiting class and, and what they might bring to the team? Um, I think the biggest thing is that they, they fit what we're looking for, uh, what it takes to win here. Uh, we got guys that, you know, can handle the bat, can move the ball around. Uh, when the wind's blowing in, that can keep the ball out of the air. Uh, I think we can really run. Uh, probably the best uh, base running team that I've had in quite a while. Um, you know, this fall, I think in 10 inter squads so far, I think we've stole 35 bases or something. Uh, so we've got some guys that can really run, can handle the bat. Um, you know, we, we pitched it really well early on in the fall, and then we've swung it really well here, here lately. Uh, so, you know, hopefully you know we kind of fall somewhere in between what we've seen you know early on and late uh but but i like our group of guys uh i think they all understand what it takes to win here because you know we try to spend the entire fall talking about what it takes to win at the diamond sports complex and it's a unique place natural surface on the side of the mountain i guess you could say (laughs) you know we got the tilt the field you got the wind blowing in it's hard to score runs which is which is very different than than most of the MIAA parks where they're offensive ballparks. Uh, so we try to spend a lot of time talking about that, and I, I think we've got some really good buy-in uh, from the new guys. I think they're starting to understand that. And you know, the, we play we inter squad last Thursday. The wind was blowing in, probably the the hardest that it's blown in from right field all fall. And I think we had I think we had like five or six extra base hits in the game, uh, driving the down angle. Uh, so that just that just shows that the guys understand. Now, obviously, you're, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days, but it just shows that the guys are bought into what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. The you mentioned the MIAA there for a second. The scheduling format changes from last year to this, and even though we we just got a little taste of it last year, uh, talk to us about how it's different. Our biggest thing is you know we were playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday three singles, um, which I think it's good when you're at home, and I think it isn't so good when you're on the road there's a lot of sitting around uh doing laundry and feeding guys so um i don't know it'll be interesting because i think we're going we're going back to a more traditional uh weekend format uh just as a cost-saving measure for a year at least uh, and just kind of see how it goes but uh we'll play we'll play a double header on saturday and getaway day on sunday or friday saturday however the league decides uh we're going to play that um but you know that that's how we did things in the heartland you know, the entire time uh, was a double single, you know, except for the one year we went double-double. But uh, it'll be a little bit different for those folks that have been in the MIAA for a while because they have that three-day, single-nine each day uh, format for quite a while. Pepe Soto, you come to Roger State from San Diego Mesa, as we mentioned, and you're a native of Fallbrook, California. What are some of the differences in, in community and, and just the atmosphere from your hometown and compared to Claremore? I mean, this is definitely a smaller town. But I think uh, the town is more connected around here. I mean, ev- everyone around here knows everybody. You walk around Claremore, everybody knows, oh, you're Roger State baseball. And you're back at home, and everyone's just like, oh, who are you? You know, like, <laughs> it's just like around here, everybody seems to like everybody, and everyone gets along. Was it was it any sort of uh, change for you as far as um, 
being out of kind of a busy lifestyle because things can be, uh, you know, lots of traffic, things are hectic and, yeah. and just very busy and quick to the gun on things. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a lot busier back in San Diego, but I think I really like it out here. I mean, it gives us more time to just hang out with the team and go down and get your work in every day. It just kind of like eliminates other factors and just lets you focus on baseball in school. RSU baseball head coach Chris Klimas, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Josh. And junior uh, Pepe Soto, appreciate the time very much. Thanks for having me. Coming up on our final segment of Inside Hillcat Nation, we'll be talking with the Hillcat softball program. Stay with us on RSU Radio. Did you know that you can catch RSU Hillcat Athletics on RSU Radio? With the dribble in his left hand, spins in, left elbow, flips a shot up and in. Tough shot making from Jet Sternberger. Hillcat basketball, baseball, and softball are broadcast on 91.3 FM and rseradio.com. Picks it back up and throws the first for the out. There it is. The Hillcats get the win and the doubleheader sweep. Check out rsuhillcats.com for a full broadcast schedule. And go Hillcats. Now back to Inside Hillcat Nation with your host and the voice of the Hillcats, Josh Haley. We're back on Inside Hillcat Nation, joined now by Hillcat softball head coach Andrea Vaughn and shortstop Sabrina Anguiano. Thank you both very much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So, Coach, uh, one thing that's very exciting that's that's right here upon us that, that starts officially today on Monday is the Red and Navy series. Talk to us a little bit about how that came about. Well, normally at, at this time we're playing other JUCOs um, and playing outside competition, but due to the circumstances, um, me and my staff, we were just trying to come up with a way to create some competition this fall. Um, we've probably inter-squatted more than, than ever uh, in the history since I've uh, been the head coach. Um, but, you know, we just decided to, like I said, do something that's going to bring some competition. Uh, we're going to have umpires. We're going to be in full uniforms. I know a lot of our families, uh, the families from the players are coming up. So um, it's just to create some excitement again um, and to just compete. And for you, Sabrina Anguiano, the, the ability to have that competition in the fall right now with no exhibitions to be played, how, how big is this for the group to be able to have that and, and kind of get a real game feel? I think it's I think it's really important for our team chemistry right now because of course we can't play the JUCOs like we did last year, but we're able to play ourselves and being ranked you know number seventeenth in the nation. I think that's probably one of the best competition we can have is within ourselves, just to really challenge everyone whether you're going against your best friend in the position on the other team, or you're just playing like you know the freshmen trying to get them into the into the groove of how we do things but overall I think this is really important for us because a lot of teams don't have this opportunity like all my friends back home in California don't are all doing online stuff right now they're not getting this chance that I'm getting so it's definitely we're able to take advantage of this opportunity we have and just keep moving forward with it. You mentioned the ranking last year whenever the season ended that at Hillcat softball was consistently being in the top 25 and ultimately up to, to number 17 for you, being your first year last year, I mean, it had to have been kind of a lot of thoughts in your mind of what could we have done had the season carried out. <laughs> oh, yeah. that I don't think that thought has ever stopped for any of us, really. We were always thinking, like, man, we could have just continued to keep going so far. And I think that for now we're able to realize where we were at and how much further we can go, and then now we just continue to work from there. So we're putting in that work to get us even further in it and go against those teams that might have beat us last year. And just Even though we didn't get to play as many as we wanted to, still we lost a few games that we shouldn't have, so I think going against those teams again will be important for us to get those dubs. And knowing that, that some of the seniors that, that had uh, that extra year of eligibility granted by the NCAA elected to come back, does that really make it feel like, okay, now we do get to see what this team from last year could have done? I think we get a 50% of it yeah. because we did lose two of them, which yeah. are also important parts in our team as well. But we get to honor them today, which will be nice. But having Danelle and Abby come back, that leadership that we got from both of them behind the plate and on, on their bats alone is just going to be really important for us because we get to have those big bats still in our lineup. Not that we were losing much because we did – gain a few bats as well on our freshman class but I think just having that leadership from them to have them help guide the rest of the younger ones through it 
And Coach Vaughn, with last year, there were already some big-time wins uh, coming over ranked opponents last year. Your team was in the top 20. Did you expect that group to be able to mesh that well that quickly last year when, when you brought in some newcomers like Sabrina Anguiano? Honestly, I think my expectations were pretty high, even though um, some of the things that we accomplished, um, they were very exciting and they were surprising um, just because we had never, we kind of reached another milestone in the program. But um, I knew what Sabrina was going to bring, you know, to our program and, um, you know, not just leadership, but you know, a strong bat, great presence at shortstop, just a solid all-around player. Um, so, you know, just all the pieces that I knew could, you know, fit together and work together, it didn't, it didn't surprise me, but it was very exciting, you know, to see us reach that milestone. Um, and I'm excited to see our new pieces plug in and, like Sabrina said, pick up where we left off. What about some of the newcomers that, that are now in their very first year with this program? What, what are some of the headlines from that incoming class that you feel like can be able to contribute? They're very athletic, um, very well-rounded. Um, again, you know, I, I, can, I can say that for our entire team, that we're all very versatile. Um, and I will say that about this incoming class as well. We've got some really big sticks that we're going to be able to plug in into the lineup um, and just overall athleticism. So I'm really excited to see uh, how they plug in. And Sabrina Angiano, from your standpoint, what do you see from some of these newcomers? Um, at first, we saw a lot of nerves, and <laughs> we had to make sure just to like talk them, especially me, I, at least for what I could do. He's just trying to talk them through and let them know that, you know, this is where you want to make the mistakes. This is where you want to make those errors, those dumb errors and all those other drop balls and all this other stuff. You'd want to make them now during the fall so that way and get comfortable. So that way now when we get into the spring and when we come back and start up again, we know like we already made those errors beforehand. We made those problems beforehand and we know how to solve them. So if they do happen to happen again in the spring, we're able to figure out that solution faster than just panicking right away. So just assuring them that they know that it's okay to make errors. <laughs> I know this group, it, it was very tight. There was a lot of team camaraderie going on, and um, we definitely saw some things on social media that were that were really cool last year after the season uh, had, had gotten canceled. But uh, talk about just some of the things that happened between the team to kind of stay connected even after the season ended. Um, well, besides those videos, I think majority of us still, like, well, I know the Californians too for that part. We still met up majority of the time we met up to go play catch we met up to go hit or anything even hang out and I know I, I could say the same for all the Oklahomans and the Texans out here too because we're just we're just a really great group of girls together honestly like I don't think how you've said like we mesh together so fast so easily and I don't think I've ever experienced that before so it wasn't really expected but to see how fast and how easy we just come together and we're able to play as one it's just it's a great feeling and, and coach uh the kind of the same question uh for you is is we did see you know quite a few things and now hearing of course that these players uh, voluntarily they elected to stay connected they wanted to be connected yeah um they are a tight-knit group and i do think that speaks to how um like you said earlier well we meshed um and how easily we came together and ultimately that is the most important thing when you're trying to, you know, go far into a season and, and make the playoffs. You have to gel and you have to, to mesh. I think um, as soon as uh, the cancellation of our season, you know, I went into a mode of, okay, how can I keep their unity? How can I uh, keep their minds on softball and not go into I guess you would say a pit of despair. Um, and so, you know, some of the social media things that we did, the pass the ball challenge, uh, that was fun. Um, we piggybacked on some of the other programs that we saw doing the same thing. Um, <clears throat> so that was, you know, a fun way to to see each other again. We did have uh, a Zoom meeting where we all got to, to see each other and really meet the newcomers for the first time. That was through Zoom. Um, and then also uh, the We Are One challenge, or not challenge, but We Are One video that we put together uh, over the summer. Um, I thought that speaks uh, volumes to just our team diversity um, and our and our unity. So it was that was fun. Both of those projects were a lot of fun. 
they were fun to watch as well and uh an invite to our to the fans out there that you can still check those out on uh, social media on at rsu softball what has training been like and how has COVID affected that is there anything that you cannot do right now that you normally would be doing in the fall other than we talked about the exhibition games um Honestly, we've tried to stay out of the weight room. Um, we have kind of modified our how we're conditioning. So we've been outside a lot. Um, and I think that's brought something different also to the program. Um, but really, we've tried to just stay the course and stay on track and try to keep everything as normal as possible and just celebrate the fact that we do get to practice um, and celebrate the fact that all of us are healthy. And so trying to take advantage of that, because we do know there are a lot of schools out there that aren't able to do what we're able to right now. And so I think it's really kind of pushed us in a sense of um, just working harder and taking advantage of this of this time. So We're talking with RSU softball head coach Andrea Vaughn and also shortstop Sabrina Anguiano. For you, once it was official that athletes can come back in the fall and begin practicing in the fall, that had to have been a really exciting moment for you and the rest of the team to know we're getting back in the flow of things now. Oh, yeah, especially because they had just announced in California that all fall sports were completely canceled and that everything was going strictly online. So, like, my... My main things that I would do before I went to school would be practicing with my JUCO again, getting myself prepared, getting myself ready. That way you never really miss a step when you come back. But not getting that, it was really difficult for me at the beginning because you kind of lose, as as hard as it is to say, but in reality, you start to lose a little bit of motivation because you had so long. We had like five months being home, doing nothing, especially, like I said, in California, there's a lot more restrictions. But... um, Thankfully to my dad, I would have to say him being on my butt and telling me not to be lazy, making me go outside and help give help him give lessons and then getting my work in on top of it. It really helped me stay on top of things. And then having some of my friends from here, like the baseball guys, they came down and visit a lot. So like getting them to get me out of the bed and get get going is also something that helped me through it. You're a, a transfer from Fullerton College, native of Riverside, California. Long ways away from home, but one of the first memories I have uh, last year is is at some games in Oklahoma City, and there is uh, the proud parents of Sabrina Anguiano there. <laughs> How special was that for you to be able to have your family uh, there in the stands watching you, you know, being so far away from home? Oh, man, it, it gets me emotional, honestly, because, like, I'm coming to the last of my years, especially taking the extra year, and it's like, this is this is it for me, like, my grandma and everybody, like, they watch online, my sister, my niece, everybody. I get that support, whether it's on through text messages after the games. My dad loves to text me during the games. That way I have some criticism to read after. And, and my mom is always sending me motivational things before and after games as well. So it just gets me emotional to know, like, I'm, I'm not there with them right now, but, you know, they're always here with me. And coach for a player like Sabrina, it's it's one of the coolest recruiting stories that I've ever heard uh, anywhere. But you were you were initially recruiting her before you got her to come here, and then a lot of time passed, and then you saw her and and saw that she was kind of still around. How kind of walk us through that? Uh, yeah, it's a really uh, cool story because I was in uh, Kansas, Kansas City, uh, uh, recruiting and watching a tournament, and um, I saw Sabi, and she was still in high school, and I even met her dad, and we talked, and uh, her and I also talked over the phone because I was trying to get her to come out for a visit, and um, you know, just really thought saw something special in her, even you know, back in her high school years. Um, but she decided that RSU wasn't quite the right fit at the time. She wanted to go in athletic training, and we didn't really have that at the time. So some years passed, and I was actually out in California um, watching the uh, JUCO state tournament, and I was actually watching a pitcher, and I realized that it was Sabrina at shortstop and you know I had lost contact with her and and everything and I noticed you know just her it was actually her prep like before the the pitch happened she does this little bounce back and forth and <laughs> said I recognize that 
and realized that it was her, and we were able to reconnect, and uh, and here she is today in the athletic training program that they just developed. So, uh, really cool story. I always tell her you were meant to be here, and uh, so it, it was a cool story. Yeah, it's worked out rather well. Uh, last year, Sabrina, in your, your Hillcat debut, you went two of three, uh, drew a couple of walks, scored twice, stole a base. Was, was everything kind of downhill from there, or, or was there not even any first-game nerves to shake off? Oh, no, there's always nerves, especially <laughs> especially being in the leadoff position. Oh, man, the things that were going through my body alone was just so nerve-wracking. But, you know, I've, I've been playing this game for a long time now, so you kind of learn to fight through all those those nerves, those anything doubtful you feel in yourself. So I know how good I can be and how good I am. And not even trying to sound cocky in it. I'm just confident in myself now after playing this for so long. So after everything, all the work I've put in, you know, coming into, and this is what I work for, this, these games and whatnot. And for all the people who have doubted me before in my life and told me I would never be an infielder, I was never going to do much in my life. So that's something that I always used to motivate me to get me through any types of those situations to prove them like, you know, I'm here for a reason and I'm going to prove that. Coach, she's part of a, a defensive unit that, that can make some outstanding plays. We know how good the pitching is here and, and how good the pitching has been, but the defensive unit, when the ball's put in play, is pretty darn good too. Yeah, I mean, I, I will um, never apologize for bragging on Sabrina. Um, you know, she really is a total package over there. She's the best shortstop, you know, that I've coached since being here at RSU. Um and, you know, not only does she, <clears throat> you know, just is a great defensive player, she brings a lot of energy to the game. That's one thing that I talk about a lot. Um, and she brings that leadership. She's always talking. She's always leading. She's kind of that glue, you know, in the infield uh, that we that we need. She does a fantastic job for us. How did COVID affect <laughs> recruiting for you at all, or if, if at all, Coach? Did it... Did it um make any changes to the way that you had to do things i know that the the dead period dates in the ncaa were changed multiple times due to everything but but how was it affected for you um it affected quite a bit actually um you know i I watched a lot of games a lot of games on zoom uh not zoom um athletes go live and and some of the other uh outlets that they used Uh, but it's hard to tell on video uh, you know, they did allow camps, and so we did work a lot of camps, and so that allowed us to be able at least to get out and uh, be around those athletes. But it really, it really shut down. You know, a lot of a lot of ways that we normally recruit. And me, I'm a big proponent of getting out and watching them in an you know an uncontrolled environment, which is a game, um, and seeing how they react and. Uh, you know, all of those things that come into gameplay. And when you don't get to do that, uh, it really, for me, it put a lot of things on hold. You were able to have the, the fall prospects camp, and uh, I know that's something that you're very passionate about and that's been happening for a long time. Tell us a little about that. Um, our prospect camps, we started those back in 2017, and they've really grown a lot. Um, every time I open up a new camp, I think, oh, gosh, how are we going to fill this up? Um, and, you know, we generally always have 50 to 60 um players that are interested and they're because they're interested in RSU. Uh, So it's been a great thing for our program. It's been a great fundraiser for our program. Um, And I get so many, so much good feedback on how we run those camps because the campers, they get a tour. We feed them lunch. They get to interact with our girls. They get to play. They get an evaluation sheet at the end. Um, so I think we really do a great job. I think the word has spread. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they fill up and I, I can't even open up more spots to get more kids in. So it's a really po- it's been a really positive thing for our program. And Sabrina, for you, when you get to be around those those players who do have that desire to uh, play at the next level per se. Does it? Do you see yourself in those players at all? Like I remember being there a short time ago, and and here's how I can help you. Although it does feel like a long time ago, I definitely you can see it in them. They're so they're so nervous. They come in and they want to just prove themselves so much, and it always cracks me up because when we have to do our side, we're not evaluating them over there, but they're like 
all out, you know, humming the ball in at like five feet away. And I have to just remind them, like, you know, just take your time, relax. It's fine. I promise you that you guys are going to, you guys are doing way better than what I would have done at their age. Cause usually have like 13, 14 year olds coming. <laughs> I didn't start going to those things until I was like 15, 16. So they're 20 steps ahead of where I was. Coach, uh, for the MIAA, last year was the first year to be in the MIAA. Didn't really get to get into things too deep uh, and kind of experience that conference, but the way that the conference schedule uh, lines out is is you get basically two games against each opponent in the conference. Does that put added emphasis on every game, seeing as how you only get two shots at everybody? It really does. Um, it, it really heightens the importance of each conference game. Um I do feel that uh, the less times they can see Morales, I think the better going into uh, the playoffs. Um, And I do feel like we always have a great shot to win when we have her on the mound. And um, I'm expecting uh, big things again from uh, Michaela Hillman. And then we've also added uh, Delaney Freeze from Fort Scott, who I think is going to really surprise a lot of people. So with our pitching, um, I feel like it's a little bit of an advantage for us if we show up and if we put everything together. Um, But yeah, I mean, it could go both ways. It could be a disadvantage. It could be an advantage. Um, I think for us personally, uh, it's always going to be an advantage. Season can't come fast enough. February is when softball should officially kick off. Sabrina Anguiano, Coach Andrea Vaughn, thanks for being with us today. That's all the time we've got on Inside Hillcat Nation. Thanks for being with us, and you can check it out on your favorite podcast platform as well. Until then, Josh Haley saying so long for RSU Radio. Inside Hillcat Nation is produced at RSU Radio. All of the music on this episode was provided by the band Bringer. Tune in next week and every Friday at 1 for more Inside Hillcat Nation.